it's time for the December 29, 2023 edition of Weekly Signals Weekly Review, a personal recollection of the last 168 hours of history, broadcasting on Marianne Faithful's 78th birthday from the University of California at Irvine on KUCI 88.9 FM. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar. And as always, running naked through the shady streets, screaming all the way, Mahler, the fake news dog. Good morning, Mahler. Good morning. Yeah. Today we'll be talking about venomous snake bites, wooden wind turbines, covert space missions, uh-huh. and so much more. But first, from Creative Commons, every year a new set of creative works enters the public domain and becomes free for me and Mike and yeah. and whoever else wants to use them uh-huh. for any purpose. Yeah. Reuse. Yeah. On January 1st, 2024, the mouse that became Mickey will finally be free of his corporate captivity as the copyright term of the 1928 animated Disney film Steamboat Willie expires. Finally. Now, that's just for the skinny Mickey. Okay. You know, skinny Mickey. Yeah, skinny Mickey, not, not, the, not the mature, mature <laughs> Mickey that we know. all come to know and love. H.P. Lovecraft's classic horror story, Call of the Cthulhu, originally published in Weird Tales, now currently a popular video game, will be available to everyone to there you go. mess and remix. Orlando by Virginia Woolf, Well of Loneliness by Radcliffe Hall, and Black Magic by Paul Mourode. House of Pooh Corner by A.A. Mm-hmm. A. A. Milne, mm-hmm. which introduced the character Tigger, and Millions of Cats by Wanda Gogg. In movies, Charlie Chaplin's The Circus and Buster Keaton's The Cameraman will enter the public domain. And in music, Dorothy Field's I Can't Give You Anything But Love, Baby. And Cole Porter's Let's Do It, Let's, Let's Fall, fall in, in Love will expand the rich set of materials that are freely available to all of us to manipulate and plagiarize free of charge. And I would recommend strongly a, a site that I love called Open Culture, in which they celebrate that which is royalty-free in all kinds of ways. It's a great site, and I'm sure that those things will show up on there if they can't uh-huh. already reference them. From Los Angeles Times, Matthew Lewin is hot on the trail of a novel treatment for the long, agonizing, and often deadly effects of venomous snake bites. Mm-hmm. You ever get bit by a snake? Yes. I don't want to hear your mouse door. You no. got bit by a snake? Yes. Really? I that it was related. Well, no, actually, you're right. It is the mouse story. The snake was in the in the fish and you tank. you got bit by a mouse. Yeah, because I thought I could reach into this tank and, and, and pet the snake, I guess. I don't remember why I wanted to and do it. And the mouse bit you. And the mouse bit me. Because he was fighting, no, but he was fighting for his life. The snake was about to consume him. I understand why the mouse bit you, but the snake didn't. No, I've never been bitten by a snake. No, I need to have you as a witness. Ah, Okay. What Matthew Lewin is working on here is a pill that he says is intended to at least buy victims enough time to get to the hospital. Snake venom is a complex cocktail of toxins, amino acids, and proteins that evolve primarily to immobilize and kill prey, but it also prepares tissue for digestion. Mm -hmm. In humans, venom causes severe swelling and instability of blood pressure, neuromuscular weakness and paralysis, hemorrhaging, and the death of skeletal muscle, leading to permanent tissue loss and amputations. 138,000 people are killed by venomous snakes 
annually, and most of them die before they can reach emergency medical care. Typical standard of care antivenoms are extremely expensive. You can go to the hospital, spend hundreds of thousands of dollars if you get bitten by a snake. Mm -hmm. And they require refrigeration and must be administered intravenously in a hospital setting. They are also species-specific, meaning selecting the right antivenom requires knowing which type of snake bit you. Mm -hmm. So you just got bit by a snake, mm -hmm. you're passing out, mm -hmm. vomiting, mm -hmm. blood's coming out of your mm -hmm. nose, mm -hmm. and the doctor's saying, do you remember what kind of snake bit you? Yeah, you're not yeah. going to. And you're maybe gonna, you are, maybe, maybe you remember, maybe. but maybe you're wrong. It was a long snake. It was a snake. It was longer than it was wide. It had teeth. I know that. It had long fangs. Fangs. Yeah, yeah, I know that. Yeah. Otherwise, no. Lewin has been working for a decade to develop an easy-to-use, needle-free solution to all those problems with a drug called Respladib mm -hmm. that blocks a highly toxic protein that is present in 95% of all snake venoms and plays a direct role in life-threatening tissue destruction, catastrophic bleeding, paralysis, and respiratory failure. Wow. Drug trials for the product are being conducted by Oferix Corporation, a public benefit corporation that Lewin founded with musician and entrepreneur Jerry Harrison from Talking Heads and the Modern Lovers in Corta Madera, California. Nice. So good on both of yeah. them. Or especially Mr. Lewin, and just for, for working this long on this yeah, particular project, absolutely. but also for uh, Jerry Harrison for backing it. Yeah, and it gives me a chance to pursue my lifelong goal, my dream of being a snake charmer. Really? Yeah. What's a snake charmer do? Do they really charm snakes? Well, it seems you, like they just make them dance. The only thing I know is you know, this bl grainy black and white film that you see from people in India dancing around like a cobra. I don't even know if they play those anymore, Mike. Oh, okay. Well, I think you're dating yourself. I know I am. People, I know. Snake well, I, I, charmers. I mean, Who's heard of a snake charmer? The only person will date me. I but, think yeah. this is a sexual thing. No, I th no. They, they're, you see them, and the cobra is darting at them, and they're dodging the cobra, and... And then this was from and, Laurel and Hardy, 1928? Yeah, no, this is, it, it, you know, it could have been a dream. If you're already working on your second draft of House on Pooh Corner, may I recommend a donation to KUCI because we are too. Just go to KUCI.org. Your generous donation is how we stay on air. Commercial free, free form, free speech radio, KUCI. 88.9 FM. From Reuters News Service. Canada already has one of the most liberal assisted death laws in the world, offering euthanasia to terminally and chronically ill Canadians. But under a law scheduled to take effect in March, assisted dying would also become accessible to people whose only medical condition is mental illness making Canada one of about a half a dozen countries to permit the procedure for disorders of the mind. Mm. That move has divided Canadians, some of whom view it as a sign that the country's public health care system is not offering adequate psychiatric care, which is notoriously underfunded and in high demand. The proposed change to include the mentally ill has also been particularly divisive, with some psychiatrists and doctors saying it muddles their efforts to prevent suicide. But supporters say denying mentally ill people access to the same humane option to end their suffering amounts to discrimination. 13,200 Canadians had assisted death last year. 13,200, a 31% increase over 2021. 
Of those, 463 people, or 3.5%, were not terminally ill but had other medical conditions. They just didn't want to live the way they were currently. Mm. During that time, there were 323,220 total deaths in Canada, so assisted death accounted for 4% of the deaths in Canada. But that's probably a lot of folk going up there, too, because it's legal in Canada. Well, it could be. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about what you just, just described. I'm, I'm not sure, good or bad. Mental illness is such a fuzzy part of the medical knowledge that we have about humans that it's difficult. It's a difficult issue, for sure. There's got to be some degrees to it yeah. that it can be... Uh, yeah. You can take euthanasia as a remedy for, but... It is. I, I understand exactly what you mean. And I'm wondering, if, what if you just want to kill yourself, Yeah. but you don't want to go through all the bother? <laughs> so you just say, well, I'm crazy. Yeah. And, yeah. and get diagnosed. They can't do blood tests on you. Yeah. It's just by your actions, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. I and, and to me, sometimes I think, well, if you're going to commit suicide, doesn't that make you kind of a little bit crazy? And you hear this discussed i don't know how often it happens but it happens enough for people do talk about people who are co are committed to killing themselves and they do it by death by police yeah where they go out and do something so crazy and provo and provocative that the police shoot them or kill them in some way yeah other people are involved that shouldn't be involved yeah, in yeah. their own suicide so if they're if they are mentally ill where does that line go yeah between being mentally ill and wanting to commit suicide yeah. i assume that it's a little bit tied together so yeah. shouldn't anyone who wants to commit suicide have access to uh euthanasia i give canada the canadian officials who are responsible for this credit for tr at least addressing it in some way from the New York Times, America's dietary shift in recent decades toward far more chicken and cheese has taken a major undocumented toll on underground water supplies. The effects are being felt in key agricultural regions nationwide as farmers have drained groundwater to grow animal feed. In Arkansas, for example, where cotton was once king and snake charming was a raging fad, <laughs> The land is now ruled by fields of soybeans to feed the chickens, a billion or so of them that have come to dominate the region's economy. Yeah. In Idaho, long famous for potatoes, is now America's largest producer of alfalfa to feed the cows that supply the state's huge cheese factories. Today, alfalfa, a particularly water-intensive crop used largely for animal feed, covers six million acres of irrigated land, much of it the driest parts of the American West. Since the early 1980s, America's per-person cheese consumption has doubled since the 1980s. Per capita, we're eating twice as much cheese, largely in forms of mozzarella-covered pizza pies. Yeah. Oh. And last year, for the first time, the average American ate 100 pounds of chicken, twice the amount 40 years ago. I don't know how far back we want to go in this conversation, but I do think that so much of what is driving this part of the economy, this part of our life, has to do with the government's designation of what are the f four or five food groups. And it set off this starting gun for these industries to become more and more and more dominant and popular and advertising more and consumption of more. And now we're in this dreadful feedback of these kinds of stories where it's just decimating 
our land, our water supply, everything else in service to this madness. Really, we don't have to eat cheese. We don't have to eat cheese. Well, they, they redid that pyramid. I, but it, yeah, but recently, it still has this last day. It's had a, I yeah. know, we still talk about it like it was handed down with, by Moses. Last year, for the first time, the average American ate 100 pounds of chicken, twice the amount of 40 years ago. Now, that, I think, has a lot to do with people trying to get themselves off of beef. Add to that, exports of poultry and dairy have risen more than tenfold since 1980. That's exports. Thanks to America's farming efficiency, combined with government subsidies and rising demand from countries like China. Exports of animal feed itself have soared, too. Most of America's irrigated farmland grows crops that don't directly feed humans, but instead are used to feed animals or to produce ethanol for fuel. And most of that irrigation water comes from aquifers. Aquifer depletion for animal feed is occurring in places including Texas, the Central Valley of California, the high plains of Kansas, Arizona, and other areas that lack enough water from rivers and streams to irrigate the crops. So we're stuck with this yeah. cycle here, this insane. Yeah. Toll on aquifers, which supply 90% of America's water systems, has been devastating. Many of those aquifers are being severely overtaxed by agriculture and industry. Meanwhile, the federal government has left oversight to the states where tangles of rules are failing to protect underground water. In corruption. Well, people there are taking advantage of the laws. Yeah. Everybody is corrupt. Cheese tastes good, yeah. yeah. But, you know, a little bit of cheese tastes good. Yes. But folks tend to want to eat more than they should. Just go to an Angels game. Just go to a... <laughs> yes. From BBC News, the world's <laughs> tallest wooden wind turbine started turning this week. It's 492 feet high with a two megawatt generator on top that has just started supplying electricity to the Swedish grid, providing power for about 400 homes. The dream of Modvion, the Swedish startup that built the turbine, is to take the wood and wind much higher. As demand has grown for taller turbines, that harvests stronger winds with larger generators. The diameter of cylindrical steel towers to support them has grown too. In a world of road tunnels, bridges, and roundabouts, many in the wind industry say transporting those huge pieces of metal to turbine sites has become a real headache, in effect limiting how tall new steel turbines can be. Yeah. The wood turbines can be constructed on site. From the outside, there's little obvious difference between the wood turbine and its steel cousins, but the interior walls of the wood towers have a curved raw wood finish, not unlike a sauna. Yeah. That's kind of fun. Yeah. I'd like to go inside of one of those yeah. if I could. That would be love beautiful, it. I think. One of my property. You want a wood I, turbine? I'd love a turbine. Okay. Absolutely. A wooden turbine. Are you kidding? <laughs> well, are you going to sweep up the birds? Well, <laughs> well, I'll give them a good burial. Right. I'll very, well, there'll be a special graveyard on the on the site. <laughs> That's my imitation of Donald said, Trump. Clunk. Yeah, but the interior <laughs> walls of the wood towers have a curved raw finish, not unlike a sauna. The tower's strength comes from the 144 later layers of laminated veneer lumber that make up its thick walls. And because using wood is lighter than steel, you can build taller turbines with less material. The industry is currently putting up 20,000 turbines a year. Modvion's ambition is that in 10 years' time, 10% of those turbines will be wooden. Nice. Yeah. Good, I good idea. 
You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. Visit us on the web at KUCI.org, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash KUCI 88.9, on our Tumblr blog at KUCIRadio.tumblr.com, and on Twitter and Instagram at KUCIFM. Whoa! Whoa! <laughs> Little punctuation there. But Mahler! The, but Jesus is out of me. What are you thinking? Well, it's he thinks it's funny. <clears throat> well, he thinks it's funny. Yeah, he does, and it's the end of the year. He doesn't care. From BBC News, the New York Times is suing ChatGPT owner OpenAI over its claims its copyright was infringed to train the system, the ChatGPT system. So the New York Times is saying they scanned all their newspapers to train the system. The lawsuit, which also names Microsoft as a defendant, says the firms should be held responsible for billions of dollars in damages. The lawsuit claims millions of articles published by the New York Times were used without its permission to make chat GPT smarter and claims the tool is now competing with the newspaper as a trustworthy information source. It alleges that when asked about current events, chat GPT will sometimes generate verbatim excerpts from the New York Times articles. This means readers can get New York Times content without paying for it, meaning it can lose out on subscription revenue as well as advertising clicks from people visiting the website. It also gave the example of Microsoft's search engine Bing, which has some features powered by ChatGPT, producing results taken from the New York Times owned website without linking to the article or including referral links it uses to generate income. The lawsuit also reveals that the New York Times unsuccessfully approached Microsoft and OpenAI in April to seek an amicable resolution over its copyright. Yeah. You know, the one problem I have about this, and it's I want New York Times to get subscription rates. There's a lot of institutions I want people to have to subscribe to. On the other hand, a lot of voters don't get good information. And the good information usually is comes from the subscri subscription papers. Yeah. You can get a lot of crap out there online. Right. And it's usually a lot of right-wing crap, yeah. which usually has a free access to their crap. To their sewage pipe of crap that yeah. comes out as news. Because most of them are getting paid yeah. by right-wing organizations to produce this stuff. Right. So it, it sets up an odd little, uh, at least in my mind, a dichotomy of what I want to do here. I want the New York Times to have a subscription rate, but I'd like for people to have access to that information. And when they're suing these organizations, Microsoft and OpenAI, to keep that information away from the public, it's disconcerting to me. I wish they could have <clears throat> come up with an amicable resolution. From Live Science. Just like humans, chatbots like ChatGPT will cheat and lie to you even if they were built to be transparent, a new study shows. This deceptive behavior emerged spontaneously when the AI was given insider trading tips and then tasked with making money. In the new study, the researchers primed GPT-4, which powers ChatGPT+, to behave as an AI system that makes investments on behalf of a financial institution. Are you with me on this? The researchers interacted with the AI through a chat interface while also configuring the AI to reveal its inner thinking when replying to messages. 
an inner monologue explaining its decisions to itself. For every trade it made, it also delivered a public rationale. Then the researchers sent the AI stock trader an email from its manager saying the company isn't doing well and needs much stronger performance in the next quarter. They also rigged the game so that the AI tried and then failed to find promising trades that were low or medium risk. Finally, they sent an email from a colleague projecting a downturn in the next quarter. Then they gave the model an insider tip while conveying that its managers disapproved of insider trading. Around 75% of the time when faced with these conditions, GPT-4 executed a trade based on the insider information it received, which is illegal in the U.S., then tried to cover it up by lying to its managers about its thinking. About 90% of the time after lying, it doubled down on its lie. To our knowledge, this is the first demonstration of such strategically deceptive behavior in AI systems designed to be harmless and honest, the study concluded. From the New York Times, for generations, Western space missions have largely occurred out in the open, but the world is on the verge of a new era where private interest overrides such openness with big money potentially on the line. Sometime in the coming year, a spacecraft from Astroforge, an American asteroid mining firm, an asteroid mining firm, may be launched on a mission to a rocky object near Earth's orbit. If successful, it will be the first wholly commercial deep space mission beyond the moon. Astroforge, however, is keeping its target asteroid secret. The secret space rock mission is the latest in an emerging trend that astronomers and other experts do not welcome, commercial space missions conducted covertly. But for Astroforge, the calculation is simple. If it reveals the destination, a competitor may grab the asteroid's valuable metals for itself. For missions beyond Earth, there are no legal restrictions against keeping a deep space mission's destination secret as Astroforge intends to do, says Michelle Hanlon, a law professor specializing in space at the University of Mississippi. The lack of penalties should spark discussion among regulators. And from Business Insider, in 1939, the physicist J. Robert Oppenheimer predicted that when a sufficiently massive star runs out of thermonuclear fuel, it collapses inward and keeps collapsing forever, shrink-wrapping space, time, and light around itself in what today is called a black hole. But it turns out that a dead star like that might not be needed to make a black hole. Instead, at least in the early universe, giant clouds of primordial gas may have collapsed directly into black holes, bypassing millions of years spent as a star. That is the tentative conclusion recently reached by a group of astronomers studying UHZ-1, a speck of light dating from not long after the Big Bang. In fact, UHZ-1 is, or was, a powerful quasar that spat fire and x-rays from a monstrous black hole 13.2 billion years ago when the universe was not quite 500 million years young. Wow. That is unusually soon, cosmically speaking, for so massive of a black hole to have come into being through stellar collapses and mergers. Astronomers contend that in UHZ-1, they have discovered a new celestial species, which they call an overmassive black hole galaxy, a young galaxy anchored by a black hole that became too big too fast. The 
The discovery of this precocious quasar could help astronomers solve a related puzzle that has tantalized them for decades. Nearly every galaxy visible in the modern universe seems to harbor at its center a supermassive black hole millions or billions of times as massive as the Sun. The astronomers propose that UHZ1, and so perhaps many supermassive black holes, begin as primordial clouds. Wow. We always imagine this star imploding, and yeah. it just could be a bunch of gas. <laughs> From Food Safety Magazine, before you cozy up on a couch with Lady and a mug of your favorite hot chocolate, mm -hmm. Mike, mm -hmm. you might want to consider Consumer Report's latest list of powder mixes that contain high levels of metal. Last year, Consumer Reports found that many chocolate bars, including Hershey's Theo, Trader Joe's, Hue, and Godiva, had dangerous amounts of lead and cadmium. Consumer Report this year expanded its research to test six brands of hot chocolate mixes. The powder mixes that were found to have excessive amounts of lead and cadmium included great value Walmart milk chocolate flavor hot cocoa, Anything with that long a name, I stay away from. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Starbucks Hot Cocoa Classic, Trader Joe's Organic Hot Chocolate, uh -oh. and Nestle's Rich Milk Chocolate Flavor. So anything with flavor after the end of it, I like to stay away from, too. Frequent exposure to lead and cadmium has been linked to immune system suppression, reproductive issues, kidney damage, and hypertension. It's particularly risky for pregnant women and young children because the metals can cause developmental problems and negative neurological effects. Cadmium often comes from the soil where cacao is grown. It gets absorbed into the beans as they grow, and then it ends up in the product. Lead could sometimes get into beans after harvest, potentially from dust and soil that lands on the beans as they dry outdoors. Both metals were found in the cocoa solids, the component of the bean that, along with cocoa butter, makes up chocolate. The review found that Swiss Miss milk chocolate flavor, hot cocoa mix, and Giardelli premium hot cocoa mix were safer to drink than others. And from Baseball America, mm -hmm. Major League Baseball announced that the pitch clock with runners on base will be reduced from 20 to 18 seconds for the 2024 season. What? That's big news. Major League Baseball introduced the pitch clock in 2023 and saw the average time of nine-inning games decrease 24 minutes to two hours and 40 minutes, the fastest average game time in 40 years. The new rule modifications is an attempt to continue speeding up the game and, of course, make more money. That's what this is all about yeah. anyway. Yeah. The way baseball is structured, quicker games give more ads per minute. Because you only have an inning. You don't have 15 minutes. You have an inning. Yeah. So if you have quicker innings, you can jam in more ads. The Major League Baseball Players Association issued a statement saying the players voted against the rules modification, which they felt offer no meaningful benefit to fans, players, or competition I, on the field. Amen. Yeah. I agree. In yeah. addition to reducing the time on the pitch clock with runners on base, Major League Baseball also announced a series of other modifications for the 2024 season. Batters will now have a wider lane to run down to first base. Previously, batters had to run on the dirt in order to avoid a violation. Well, what they had to do is go into a lane that they... If you ever wonder what that little long rectangle is on the way to first base as you approach first base, you're supposed to get over into that lane mm -hmm. if you've hit the ball to the catcher. It just bounced it so that the catcher is trying to throw through you, essentially. And you're supposed to move over at least to give them a, a chance. Otherwise, 
there was there were a lot of injuries. That's yeah, why yeah. that was uh, well, it, brought about. But now yeah. they're free to run in the grass. Is that right? So they can block the catcher. That's I think the, that's a horrible rule. Yeah, idea. Yeah, I do too. Now the lane's been widened to include the cut of the infield grass. The pitch clock will now restart after a dead ball when the pitcher receives the ball and the play is ready to resume, not when the pitcher is on the mound. Now, this one I get. That change removes the pitcher's ability to delay the start of the timer, if you're going to have the timer, by walking around the edge of the mound. I got you. I thought that was cute, though. I always like it when they try and break the I didn't even notice that. I, I, this is yeah. the first time I actually heard that. So, wow. And a pitcher who warms up at the start of an inning must face at least one batter. According to Major League Baseball, there were 24 instances last season where a pitcher warmed up between innings and was re- replaced before throwing a pitch. So if you see one guy out there in the bullpen, yeah, he's got to come in if you're removing your pitcher. Yeah, well, that's an interesting problem. If yeah. there's nobody warming but, but up. That's all the... speeding up. That, what, because but, what it did is add uh, like three minutes of unexpected dead time well. without ads. And finally, from United Press International, the McMinnville, Oregon Police Department said that an item of concern was spotted on the athletic field at Patton Middle School. Students were kept inside school buildings while police consulted with the Oregon State Police Bomb Squad personnel. The department used a drone to get close-up photographs of the apparent hand grenade while keeping a safe distance from the suspected explosive. After reviewing the photographs, the item was determined to be a dog waste bag dispenser manufactured to resemble a hand grenade, police said. You can subscribe to the Weekly Signals Weekly Review podcast at weeklysignals.com. Weeklysignals.com. Subscribe now.